this podcast, Stephen Getchell from Dell talks about why data governance is scary and how to fix it. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to another episode of Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us Stephen Getchell. He is... Uh, working in chief customer office and as chief data officer of engineering and data lake at dell and serves uh, on the dell information quality governance office and the dell it technology advisory board developing dell's corporate strategy for the business data lake advanced analytics and information information asset management uh, stephen also serves as customer insight analyst for the chief technology office analyzing customer technology challenges and requirements. Stephen has been awarded the People's Choice Award by the Dell's Total Customer Experience Team for the Data Governance and Business Data Lake project as well as Chief Technology Officer Innovation Finalist for utilizing advanced analytics for customer configuration, improving product development and product test coverage. Prior to Stephen's uh, current role, he managed Dell, Dell's global product development lab operations team developing internal cloud orchestration and automation environments and information system executive for IBM leading acquisition conversion efforts and was VP of enterprise systems and operational and operations managing mission critical uh, information systems for TeleLogic. Stephen has an MBA from Southern New Hampshire University and BSP and AS in finance from Northeastern University. That being said, uh, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Appreciate your time. Beautiful. I think this is one of the most uh, nerdiest uh, resume, like introduction I have ever read. Like it's every every bit is telling so much about how much you are indulged, uh, involved in the aspect of data. So customer experience was was in it, uh, data lake was in it, governance was in it. Like it's it, it's fascinating to have you on board. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. So um, why don't we we talk about your journey your i think that that's it it again uh, fascinating so what brought you to data and what what brought you to the uh, to uh, chief data officer engineering yeah so i mean my career early on was really in finance and business and i was in the banking industry i think at that time understanding data and how to use data obviously financial data at the time really to improve your customer experience even back then was really vital and during my career path of going through customer support and working with sales and different functions, the, the really streamlined piece of it was data throughout every application, right? And so around that time, I started getting interested in information technology. How do we generate information? How do we improve information to the customer experience? And really uh, going down the technology path, right? And then at one point in my career, I started running uh, information technology group. Uh, which obviously started talking about things like enterprise information systems, reporting environments, CRM systems, and what do those things all have in common? They all generate data, right? So uh, coming to full force and not boring you with the rest of my middle part of my career, uh, coming to EMC at one point, managing the infrastructure for developing of products, again, generating data, our customer data coming in from call home information, how our labs generated data, how the code generated data, all the things like logs, structured, unstructured data. 
led me to figure out, okay, well, how do we manage all this information in today's world? The amount of data, the, the frequency of the information, the different types of information. And that's when you start talking about things like data lakes, right? How do you consolidate that in, in there? And then you, you create things like data lakes for structured and unstructured data, and then you say, uh-oh, how do we manage all of this information, right? Now it's an overload, and that's where data governance became really a key component to enabling people to say what's in the data lake, how do they use it, how do they get access to it, things of that nature. So that's, that's kind of where I came from. Wow. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. So um, tell me, tell, I think so one, one um, area that I'm fascinated about. And, and we recently talked about is, is your customer experience journey. And I think, and, and I've been eyeing at uh, someone from the customer experience side to, to come and share their wisdom. So how are things there? Like what's, what's the landscape in customer experience? Because I think to me, they are one of the most authentic uh, user for data and analytics, right? So what's an and Dell, uh, Dell EMC, you are all about data. And when you, when, when, when we hear about customer experience, it's so yeah, music to my ear. So, uh, if you can walk us through your customer experience journey. Sure, absolutely. So th think about a customer experience with a, a company the size of Dell. Hmm. From the time that they hit our website and become just a, a footprint, if you will, where we don't even identify who they are yet, right? They're just hitting our webpage to find information all the way through a purchase and supporting of the products. And that's on the consumer side, right? Hmm. Then you talk about commercial and enterprise side of the house where they may download a white paper and then they may attend a show and then they really kind of experience the full breadth of the Dell portfolio. Well, how do we understand to give them the right information at the right time along that journey from a purchasing standpoint? How do we provide their information and really focus in on all really a complex portfolio around Dell? And then once they purchase it, not only how do, they how do we deliver their product to them easily? How do we invoice them easily? What's their experience after they actually install the equipment from a support and a consulting standpoint to how do they retire their old equipment and upgrade their equipment, right? And so if you think about the complexity of that, every step of the way we're generating data, you're integrating very complex systems that may be integrated or may not be integrated, but yet you need to consolidate that information together to really improve the customer experience, right? So if you think about all the different standpoints of, of functions that go across the customer experience too, you're talking about legal departments, HR departments, finance departments, engineering departments, et cetera. How do you take all those different siloed processes and really consolidate an end-to-end -end process so that you're delivering an outcome to a customer versus just, okay, in finance, we got them to pay their invoice, that's super. Well, it just doesn't end there. Right, and so how do you bring that end-to-end -end user experience? And that's what we're trying to look at, really, Adele. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. No, I think fascinating, by the way. So. One thing that that that, that I see, um, uh, almost every company is like they have their own piece of struggle when it comes to managing customer expectation and customer experience, and and like data. So if I'm a startup or if I'm if I'm a mid mid sized company uh, trying to understand the customer experience landscape, like what are some of the some of the some of the suggestions or ideas that you could suggest 
as a data data the chief data officer in 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 that in that arena that i could think about using data to my advantage like what are some of the some of the hacks or tricks that 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 you can advise or some of the best practices uh, that i can i can fix my customer experience journey or at least i i can quantify that journey yeah, I think there's two key components. One is you want to make sure that your data governance process is in place from day one. What happens with a lot of small startup companies is, you know, they're developing their product, they're generating data, but sometimes they don't, they don't even know how much data they have from day one, right? So if you have a good, solid implementation from a data governance standpoint of building things like data catalogs, understanding ownerships, how is data being transformed between your systems, that, that's one key area. The second key area really is listening to your customers. And I know that sounds funny because everybody's supposed to listen to their customers, but truly listening to them, understanding the feedback. How do you incorporate your sales feedback with your engineering feedback, with your customer survey feedback, so that you can consolidate it into one environment and do an analysis from a 360 view of a customer, right? So I, I joke all the time when people say, we're working on a customer 360, and I say, okay, well, you may have 180 degrees, right, <laughs> of that 360 journey. I, I have not found one company that has a true 360 journey yet. So if you're a small company and startup, from day one, think about that customer 360 journey and think about how do I get to that path that every time I either generate data from a customer or generate internal data or, or look at external data from social media as an example, how do I build that roadblock to getting to that step of truly having a customer 360? If you do that from day one, you're not playing catch up when you have a billion customers and trying to consolidate 15 different infrastructure systems, et cetera. Interesting. So when you, when you talk about data governance, right? So tell me your, like your vantage, from your vantage point, what, what does data governance look like? What does that really even mean? Yeah, it's interesting. So you talk about journeys, data governance is certainly on a journey. Mm. So I like to put it into the 1.0, 2.0 version, right? So data governance years ago was focusing in on uh, security, access control. Really, you talk about business intelligence environments, data warehouses. It was very structured data. It was very siloed information. Certain people got access to those very specific components. Well, when you talk about data governance 2.0, the advent of data lakes, when you look at the different, just the different job titles that include data, data engineers, data analysts, right? Data scientists, et cetera. It's now becoming every person in an organization wants to understand the data, wants to access the data. We have structured and unstructured data that comes in frequently. Uh, we talk about use, business use cases and the value of those. Is it real-time data? Is it not real-time data? What use case are you trying to solve with the information that you're looking for? Things of that nature. Now you talk about data governance 2.0, which means how do I democratize my information across all of my different systems? How do I put the information in the right hands at the right time to, to build those use cases and solve those business use cases? But I also still need to think about that data governance 1.0 around compliance and security, right? Uh, especially when you talk about things like the general data protection, right, uh, coming out of the EU, GDPR as an example, mm. is really turning data governance and putting it into the limelight now, which by the way, I think is great because it's forcing the conversations to happen that mm. maybe should have happened years ago. Um, how do you still have compliance but still democratize the data across the different types of personas? Interesting. 
so if if say if i must if i must start up or if i'm like i'm a aspiring data scientist right and and i was mm-hmm. i was told that okay uh build a build a build a center of excellence around data and and then suddenly suddenly i'm i'm now in the turf of governance like how as 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 a very basic maybe 0.0 or or 0.5 uh, level how do i start this journey of understanding the data governance piece and and getting them in order before i think you pointed out nicely if it goes out of hand like if you have billions of users how will you do that so what yeah. are some of the practices that you could suggest yeah so so clearly uh roles and responsibility is a vital key to this um you know people love to use the statistic that data scientists spend 70 or 80% of their time just finding and organizing data and then only 20 or 30% using algorithms and really doing data science work right So the key here and, and and data scientists always ask me like how should I look for a position within a company and my first thing to them is if they don't have data governance run the other way because all you're going to be mm-hmm. doing is data engineering work and not data science work that's a very good So point. when you talk about startups again you know I I wouldn't expect a data scientist to lead a data governance solution right but they can certainly participate and have good habits around if i create an algorithm and i'm using five different data sets how do i have decent documentation about that algorithm and have lineage back to the different systems and the different code that repositories that i'm using and things like that and develop really good habits so that you can one collaborate with other data scientists on the work that you're doing because it's well documented but two you can share the data lineage and find the ownerships and the data stewards and subject matter experts around those key components so that the next time you need to use that information you're not starting from square one so if if a startup realizing it's too small is not going to have a chief data officer or a chief governance officer or whatever you want to call them then it's the responsibility of each individual functional team to have kind of a part-time data steward if you will so if finance is generating data find ownership of that data right and and somebody raises their hand and says i own the finance data that's a huge start how, how do you have descriptions around some of those critical data elements it doesn't have to be every single column across every single table but there's always going to be key critical data elements to identify you know get a group together define what those critical data elements are really actually put a definition so everybody has the same taxonomy and nomenclature around that information make sure that you understand if it lands even in an excel spreadsheet in some cases right because we still use excel yeah. where did that information get pulled from and what did you do to that information from the original data source into that excel spreadsheet so i think if you early on as a small customer from employee number 1 through employee number whatever instill the good habits from day 1 i think the rest of it takes care of itself interesting we'll resume after a short break This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. And and one sort of one consistent excuse that I have seen uh, for people running away from the governance model is the ownership confusion, right? So they say data ownership is the data is the language. Uh, and and typically everyone everyone wants to have their own language uh, into their business and data represents uh, data pretty much is is the vouching uh, uh, element in that so when you are in 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 that sort of uh, that that element how do you sort of how do you uh, what is like how do you resolve that conflict who should own like how do you 
define and, and facilitate the ownership piece. Uh, at least uh, settling the dust on who owns what. And I think you pointed out beautifully, if someone claims that they ha they own data, that's a, that's a beautiful start because that's that's the that's the first thing that needs to happen before you jump on anything extra. So what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, so I think if, if somebody generates data, they need, they need to own it, right? So, so it's, it's the data producers, if you will. And, and to give you a quick example, if you're sitting there and you're doing data entry to create a customer, right? So customer is one of those key things where nobody wants to own it. It's very complex. It goes across all the different systems. Who should actually own customer information, right? It, it doesn't sit logically in any one space. Right. Well, who's it most important to is my question, and who's going to raise their hand as an ownership? So, for instance, in some organizations, it might be SEALs that owns customers, right? Because they're the ones that are actually creating the records from day one from, from a lead standpoint into a customer standpoint. Other organizations, it may not make sense. It may make sense from a compliance issue that finance has to. So in financial institution, maybe the finance group owns customer because of compliance and re reporting complexities, right? So it, it's kind of a lousy answer because there's no simple answer, right. but it depends upon the use case, the industry, who's going to step up, who's the influencers is another important thing. So you don't want somebody owning a data source such as customer if they're not good influences across different functional teams. Because if they go to do something and they can't get the other functional teams to align with it, then you're going to have the wild, wild west again, and everybody's going to use data in their own context, right? Um, so that's number one. The second thing is you can still have different hierarchies, if you will, when you're formulating your, your information. So if I wanted to find customer at an enterprise level that has a certain hierarchy, how do my contacts roll up to my accounts that roll up to my global ID, that type of thing? It might be one way, but then you have sales, you have services, you have support that because of their different infrastructures are aligned differently. So sales, for instance, may have sales territories that don't align to our enterprise roll-up of a customer, right? They may have to roll it up differently because of the way their, their sales territories are rolled up from, from a compensation model standpoint, from a selling standpoint. They can have their own different hierarchy as long as you are able to connect and align what their hierarchy is to an enterprise hierarchy, right? And then the second piece is you have to make sure, and this again is more of a cultural thing, when people are reporting out numbers and sitting in different um, executive leadership committees or management meetings or customer meetings, you have the context around what the information that you're reporting. So if that somebody doesn't say, well, last week, customer ABC had revenues of X number, and now you're telling me they have a different number. Well. That's fair, and they can, but it's a different context, right? Mm. So that, I, I think those are key points around uh, given the flexibility of different hierarchies across different functions, as long as they align and they have context, is really key. Interesting. And 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 now let's talk about um, the end-to-end -end sort of understanding governance, right? So if yeah. if we talk about say like what are some of the skills? So if I'm if I'm uh, tasked to fix my governance data governance piece, right? what, are, what are some of the end-to-end -end skills that I need to procure or, or basically acquire to understand how to fix that? Like what, what's, your, what's your take on that? Yeah, so first thing you have to have is passion about data governance, right? So it's, it's not a skill, but it's an actual inherent thing. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have passion around data governance, you're going to run into roadblocks on a consistent basis, and you need that passion to get through those roadblocks. 
there, there are terms within certain companies that won't even use the term governance because people will run the other way, right? Mm. So you can talk about information management, data management, use different terms like that and not use that governance because of the historical mm. context. Until you change that culture to say, hey, we're all about data democratization and utilization of information, et cetera, until you get that cultural change, don't even use the word governance, right? But really going back to I think, uh, one, you need both somewhat of a technical understanding of information as well as the business understanding. And what I mean by that is you will have governance teams that sit in IT, and if they're just focused around rows and columns and managing those specific technical assets sitting in databases, it's not going to work, right? Because now you have all these different business assets that are being managed at the report level, the analytical model level, the functions, the calculations, et cetera. So you have to have, an, if it's sitting in IT, they better have, understand what the business use cases are and understand that end-to-end, -to, -end, to your point, governance. And I'll go into some detail on what I think is an end-to-end -end governance program. Mm. Conversely, if it's sitting in the business side of things, data governance, then they better understand the technical infrastructure and the architecture. And I'm not talking about teams on keyboard understanding code, but I'm, I'm talking about what is the meaning of a data lake? What is unstructured and structured data? How do data scientists interact with it that's different than a business analyst interaction because it is different, right? They better have an understanding of that. So that way, when they're implementing a governance program, it's going to meet the technical needs as well. So you got to have this kind of merging of business and technology together and have have the knowledge on both sides for both groups, right? So let's talk about end-to-end -end a little bit. Mm. When you talk about data governance, you go from some simple concepts around getting everybody to agree to a business term, right? Talk about starting mm. in square one if you're a startup, get, get people with the same business terms, defining it the same way so you're on the same page. That's a simple way to do it. We talked about ownership already, so I won't go into more detail on that. Then how do you build out from that? Okay, so now you have a business term. How does that business term relate to your actual physical assets, meaning your roles, your columns, your report attributes sitting inside of Tableau somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. How do you link that business term to those specific areas? So now we start talking about lineage, right? Relating assets to other assets. Now I've got my business term related to my physical attributes on a report. Do I have data quality sitting around those physical attributes? Right? Am I measuring the quality of customer or, or account or contact or whatever the case may be so that people understand, hey, you can make decisions on this data, but it's only 60 or 70% from a data quality perspective, you know, around the completeness or uh, understanding the complexities of it, right? So then keep going down that lineage path. Okay, do I have policies around it, right? How, how can I use that information? What are some of the compliance models? What are some of the security issues around that information? So people like to talk about PII, personal information, identifiable information as an example. So PII is a very different context than, than to open source data. So now you talk about things like uh, policies, standards, business rules, right? Then you keep going down that path. And so I, I know my physical, I know how I can use it for my policies, I know my data quality. Now I want to understand where are they physically sitting and what technology assets is in Greenplum or Teradata or, you know, unstructured data or Cloudera, et cetera. So then I can understand what kind of skill sets do I need in order to use that information. And then you talk about transformations between the different systems. So 
I know that's a long-winded answer, but you talk about end-to-end -end data governance, you have to have components of each one of those things, different things. No, I think it's beautiful. And, and by the way, thank you so much for being like very uh, thorough and explaining us. Uh, it's very, very useful. And I think, uh, so one thing that uh, when, you were, when, you were, when you were saying that uh, got stuck to me was your, your idea of when you say governance, people would run away, right? There's a cultural <laughs> that sort of uh, dichotomy going on there. And then uh, like change it, change it to data management or whatever, right? So now that, that brought me to a point of culture, right? So if definitely these are very nerdy terms, these are very sort of turfs that uh, no one wants to take ownership. Some in many, in many ways, it's, it's very, very hard. How to fix that? How to fix the culture? Because, because this is, this is the sort of, uh, thing that is stopping me from being data driven. Right. So if I don't own the data, probably I'll not drive in data. So how to fix that? What's, what's your, what's your perspective on that? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by first Friday fair fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, so a couple of points. Um, one is don't overcomplicate it, right? Meaning some people will try and do a data governance end-to-end -end program when really nobody even knows what the word data, the phrase data governance means. So, so don't overcomplicate it. And just a quick example on that, if you don't have a strong data governance a culture, then start with, like I said earlier, just defining business trends and getting people introduced to the value of everybody on the same page. When they see something on a report, they all agree to what it means and go from there. Don't start talking about ownership, lineage, all this other stuff. That's number one. The second thing is listen to your stakeholders. Listen to the key influences across the organization. What challenges are they having? So if I go to my enterprise architect team that works with the data science team, and their biggest problem is that they, they are paying data scientists to just try and get access to data and cleanse data, that's a big problem. So how do I address that issue from a data governance standpoint and explain the value of a simple catalog, right? So what are the key environments that those data scientists use? Let's build a data catalog so that they can at least go and search and find out what's inside of those systems as an example. Step one, you know, once I do that, show the value of that. Okay, now I can search a data catalog, a data scientist can customer and see all the different results of columns, rows, tables, et cetera, that involve customers, an example, right? And then once you, once you handle that point, then you go to the next step. Okay, what's their second problem? They have a catalog. Well, now they don't know how to get access to it. Well, part of data governance, figure out a process and a policy and who do they have to go to to get access to that data? And then just stop working that problem down and showing that, hey, Here's the value of what you just did to help me implement data governance. Now you're seeing benefits of it. Let's go to the next problem and let's ping that off too. Right? That's the second. Then the third component is when you talk about not data scientists, but data analysts as an example, what are the specific use cases they're trying to solve and how do I help them solve them? And that can be anything from finding information to, from the source system into a data lake system to uh, understanding ownership, et cetera, it depends upon business analyst use case. And then how do you solve that? So that's how you get them on to, to the dark side of data governance 2.0. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you so much for walking us through that. So let's talk about data lake. Like what is data lake if you, if you can, if you can walk us. 
Yeah, so definitions are wide and varied, right? So I will give you just what my definition is. And if you Google it, you may not find this definition, right? But basically, it's an environment where you can consolidate multiple different types of data into one location and have the capability to use multiple different types of tools to access it and solve business problems. That's my interpretation of a, of a data lake, right? Um, you can start talking about things things like size of data, frequency of data, and all that stuff, I don't tend to even involve that to make it complex. It's literally, you know, structured and unstructured data to solve business use cases and be able to use different types of self-service tools. Okay. And, and why, should I, why should I worry about it? Why should I care? Yep. So uh, in some cases, you don't have to care, right? So I know it's a trend and everybody wants to talk about it for a couple of years now. And it, again, it depends upon what are you doing with it. So when people ask me, hey, should I have a data lake? My first question is, well, what are you trying to solve with data lake? I don't have a data lake just because you want to take everything and consolidate it into one location. That's not a good answer, right? If you come to me and you say, well, I have a marketing program and I'm trying to combine my customer data with my social media data to understand the influences in social media and how they're reacting to a new product release. That's a pretty good use case for a, a data lake, right? Because my old BI environment, my data warehouse environment can't manage unstructured data, for instance, and be able to, to consolidate large scale information and unstructured data. So now, okay, a data lake makes sense to me, right? So again, it's about a use case. It's about understanding the, the complexity of the environments that you have, the size and structure, et cetera. Okay. And so um, I think one thing I was thinking about is, so if suppose the ownership is uh, very um, distributed, in, in say in any company there's uh, maybe it's, it's it's a hard matrix whatever it is it's it's spread out right so in that mm -hmm. case would data lake still applies like in in what are some of the some of the cases in which data lakes i should think about and in which case i should not it's it probably it's, it's it's not a good fit like if you can walk us through. Yeah, so, so again I, I don't i don't think it's a good fit if your current environment support cross functional uh, environments and can manage the existing data sets, et cetera. But to, to your exact point of if I have these different silos of ownership and information, the benefit of a data lake for one is to get people to focus more on outcomes and not siloed solutions, right? So if I can combine those different silos of information, I can take my engineering data of how my customers are using their, the products and I can relate that to upselling and cross-selling in my sales environment and understand historical revenue numbers of my financial data because my outcome is how do I make my customer experience better? That's when you want a data lake, right? You want to understand and focus on outcomes and not siloed solutions. So I, I would argue that anybody that has uh, individual siloed ownerships and individual data sets, if you will, that are in different data warehouses, how are you combining and collaborating with across the enterprise to deliver outcomes to your customers? You probably not. Mm. So let's talk about outcomes for a second, right? Uh, I love to, to try and figure out a discussion and this is really pertinent to, you know, when you, when you have data um, consolidations, right? Through an acquisition as an example. If I have a historical company and they're selling a certain type of technology, EMC was selling stores as an example, and I consolidate them into a consumer type environment that also sells enterprise equipment like a Dell. How am I gonna combine those different data sets together now to change my sales model, right? 
Because now I don't want to go and just sell laptops or service to the company. I want to sell storage. I want to sell software. I want to sell, you know, Pivotal and VMware solutions to them as well. So now the discussion goes from, hey, you need a storage unit, go buy a VMAX or some other solution to, okay, you're trying to spin up an entire end-to-end -end process, an online marketing place, cloud environment, because you want to improve the real-time data back to your customers that involves cross-functional information across all your different groups. That's an outcome, and you need siloed solutions to sell an end-to-end -end product to a company and not just say, okay, well, you need two servers, one, one storage component, you need some software. That's not what you're trying to sell anymore. You're trying to sell an end-to-end -end solution and, and solve an outcome. And to be able to consolidate information across the different environments is really helpful understanding that complete picture. Interesting. So, so one thing that, that I, I always sort of uh, uh, get confused about data lake. So I think mm -hmm. the, the moment I, I hear about data, I, I, I get the chills of ownerships, right? So I get chills of it's like getting, getting into the dirty stuff. Right? So get, getting yeah. in, in, into the, into the trenches. What, like, why can't we sort of call it maybe uh, analytics lake or insight lake and make it very business friendly. So now, now everyone wants, Hey, I want the first, like no one wants data, but everyone wants insight somehow. Right. So. And I think to, to your point, once you call it data management, it's not scary anymore. What's, what's your perspective? Yeah, so a data lake, I guess to your point, it can be called anything you want it. But so for instance, there are different levels of data lakes too, right? So you may have a data lake where you're just consolidating, to your point, data, right? Mm -hmm. Rolls, tables, unstructured data, and that's it. That's a data lake. But there are other advanced, more mature data lakes where you're talking about, to your exact point, execution tiers right so now you're you're consolidating the information number one but then you have these execution tiers around things like analytical models that have been developed right so you might have a reporting execution tier that has certified data that's been scrubbed consolidated and now you start talking about things like data sets and not individual data attributes you talk about analytical models that have been combined and scrubbed and approved from cross-functional teams so that now a data analyst is just sitting there connecting to a reporting execution tier versus your, your raw data, if you will, to link up a, a whatever reporting tool of choice to that, that reporting structure. Mm. That's one level. You can have a second level where you have a canonical model mm. execution tier, right? where you have some scrubbing of the data and grouping, logical grouping, if you will, together, or physical grouping, in a canonical model execution tier. And those will be for people that are more data engineering type people. And then you can have your raw uh, landing zones, if you will, mm -hmm. for data scientists to go and say, I, I don't want anybody touching my data. I don't want anything scrubbed or anything. So let me go to the raw data. So to your exact point, a data lake to me has all of those different levels. Right. And it's a stack of technology. It's not just storing information. I mean, you, you got to look at it in totality from the storing of information. How do you ingest that information into those data, those various zones, if you will, execution tiers? What technologies are you going to use for things like real time analytics versus batch updates? And then when you get to the top tier, what type of reporting tools are you going to use? What type of end user self service ingestion tools are you going to use, et cetera? So the whole stack. 
Interesting. Does that answer your question? Yes, 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 absolutely. So uh, I think, so one more thing that, that uh, I want your perspective on is from your vantage point, if you talk to a client, right, what are some of the, say, common pitfalls or common mistakes that you see uh, many of the clients doing when it, when it comes to their data governance practice or getting, getting the data lake in order or, or getting the data sciences uh, in, in, in order? Like what are some of, the, some of the common tenets of common mistakes that or common sort of opportunities that you see? These clients, yeah. Like, yeah, I think the first mistake is people see the, the advent of a data scientist becomes the sexiest job, all that stuff. They go out and they hire themselves a data scientist. Hmm. Okay, Good. super. What is that person going to do, right? They don't have a data league. They don't have data governance. They don't even have data engineers, right? So I think that that's, that's a common mistake is jumping on the latest trend without, first of all, understanding the path to getting to that value of that latest trend. Um, I've, I've been in many conversations with different uh, customers or non-customers in events, and, and they're like, okay, well, I'm getting pressure to spin up a data lake and hire data scientists. My first question is, why? <laughs> you know, you, I, I love the five whys. You keep asking the five whys and you get to the root of it. And, and usually the root of it is, well, my VP was on a plane, he read an article about data lakes, now he wants a data lake, right? So, mm -hmm. so uh, you know, I'm just joking a little bit about it, but, but sometimes that, that actually happens. So I think that's a big mistake is, first of all, get, get the reasons as to why you're doing something and not just get on the hottest trend. That's number one. The second is, from a data perspective, not managing the data from day one. We all do it. Every single company in the world has done this. Right? They generate all kinds of data, but they don't think about how they're going to use that generation. So you talk about things like call home information from products. A bunch of companies I've talked to have call home data, and I'm like, well, how are you using that? Are you improving your products? Are you understanding how your customers are using your products and configuring it? Are you matching the configurations of how they're actually using it to the way you actually engineered that product? Are they matching, or are they actually using it differently than what you thought they would use it? So I, I think that's really the key is like, don't hop on the latest trend, have use cases, understand why you want to get on that latest trend and then utilize the resources appropriately. To me, again, going back to your questions earlier about small companies, don't hire a data scientist, okay? Hire a data engineer, hire a data analyst, make sure you have a subject matter expert that understands the information, get a data engineer on the technical side to be able to manipulate that data and transform it to the way you think you want it then go get yourself a data scientist so that when they walk in the door, they already know who the subject matter expert is. They already know how to get access to the data from the data engineer. And then they can use the raw data or they can use the transformed data. They can make that choice, but they're not spinning circles, just trying to find the data and getting access to it. I think it's beautiful. So uh, I think one thing I want to add, add to that is, so whenever I, 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 whenever I go to any, any client, I give them this book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. So it's, I think you're, you're very emphasis on five whys and, and you should first know why you want to do something that, that pretty much helps you. I think beautifully put and, and thank you so much for, 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 for sharing that. Now, now let's, let's talk about, uh, uh, some of the things that you are presently surprised, uh, when it comes to, from your interaction with, with maybe humanity, uh, who, who are deploying this, these practices that they, they get it. Like what's, what's that thing that you say, okay, you don't have to do that much hard, surprisingly. What, what's your take? Uh, so, so if I get your question, so, so what, what is the, the good, good versus the ugly, right? <laughs> so so I, I think the good, so, so you take GDPR I mentioned earlier, right? The general mm. data protection. Mm. 
people look at that and say, oh man, this is bad. This is really bad. I look at it and say, this is really, really good, right? And the reason for it is they're just asking us to do things that we should have been doing all along, right? Data privacy and data protection, we should, have think, we should be thinking about that every time we collect a piece of data from somebody. So mm. I think I've been pleasantly surprised around the people embracing GDPR, trying to meet the requirements of that, whether it's because they think they're going to be fined or not, I don't really care. They're doing the right thing. They're, they're progressing it. Um, I've really been impressed with how people overall have embraced data in general, right? So I think there's different components. Uh, we have people that are lawyers or, you know, they're financial experts or they're sitting in HR. And now HR wants their own data analysts, their own data scientists. Uh, finance want, legal wants it. We're, we're utilizing information to do things like, well, let's analyze contracts and maybe we can get a contract that's standard, that's 80% of the way there and then lawyers only have to focus on the really complex 20% piece, right? And improve their, their job function. I mean, you talk about healthcare, all these different industries, the way that we're using data and we're thinking outside of the box, not about how we always have done things, about, but about the way we can actually do things in the future is, is awesome, right? I, I just, that, that is the thing that I'm most impressed about is just getting the number of people that want to use data in the right way, you know, not only for their business to improve revenues, but also improve things like recycling and healthcare and other things that really will affect our lives. So that's, that's a pleasant surprise for sure. Interesting. Uh, interesting. So let, now let's, let's talk about you and, and your team, your, that perspective. So what is, what is a magical team for you? Like what's, what's, what's an, what's an very idealistic team for you, if at all, if there's anything? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk again, I'll go back to a use case. So a magical team of a use case to solve a problem has really four components to it, right? I think you need program management around it, right? So that's somebody that, that gives structure and context, because I'll be honest, most, most data scientists I've met are not good at that stuff, mm -hmm. right? You need a subject matter expert on the data itself to understand what does it mean, the nomenclature, the definitions, et cetera. You need a good technical data engineer that can ingest and manipulate the data and, and so forth. And, and a data scientist to go and, you know, really use their skill sets and algorithms and, and different types of technologies to solve the problem. To me, if, you, if you've got those four people on a team to try and solve an outcome, you're doing pretty well, right? So that's at the micro level of the use case, if you will. Hmm. At, the, at the higher level, if you talk about just data governance in general, and to my point earlier, you need people that understand the business side of things for sure, but also have some technical skill sets. And what I mean by that is you need enterprise data stewards, right? Mm. How are they going to work with functional teams to understand, to your point, an end-to-end -end governance model? And then go help them execute form councils around certain critical data elements, things like that. So that uh, then you need data quality experts and analysts. Not only from hands-on keyboard of, of, you know, literally creating the data quality rules, but how you then analyze those and then take that information and improve the data quality. Go back to source systems. How do you change processes? All that kind of stuff. So that's data quality. Um, so you got program management, data quality, enterprise data stewards. Then you need the architect, right? You want somebody that understands how the heck do all these systems integrate with each other. So I guess at a startup, maybe that's not as important, but in a mm. complex enterprise environment, mm. uh, when you talk about how does 
my CRM go with my Salesforce that interacts with Informatica and my databases and all this other thing, and enterprise architects certainly to understand not only near-term issues, but also long-term architecture and how do we get to where we really want to be is vital. So those are the key components. Interesting. And say if, if, if for, for, a, for a large enterprise, right? So if I'm getting into the foray of uh, data lake or getting into understanding the data governance, so at a discovery level, what, like, what is the, uh, the ingredient for, for that first hire that I, that I would do, uh, if I, if I need to start into the journey of creating a center of excellence of data, when it comes to uh, like, what, what's your, what's your take? Well, for data excellence, I think you need to find somebody that has been both on the IT and the business side to start because you need to talk to both sides of the house, right? You need that translator, if you will. If you don't have that, then you're going to go back to IT developing something that the business doesn't really want or need, right? Um, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. If you talk about things like real-time analytics, you can define real-time in 15,000 different ways, however you want it. Does real-time mean, well, if I get it once a day, that's real-time for me, or is it every hour up to the minute? What's the use case? So to have somebody that can go and understand a business value use case, translate it into IT technical terminology and, and be able to make sure that there's no loss in translation there. I think that's the number one hire that's key. Um, then after that, certainly you need somebody that understands the, the technology itself, right? Mm. So if you expect a business intelligence IT person that's used to, you know, running a SQL environment to now go and spin up a data lake, I don't think that's fair to that person, okay? Same thing on the business side. If you expect a business analyst that is used to understanding a, you know, a report and creating reports off of fully scrubbed data to go and say now, go play in a data lake. I don't think that's fair. I think there's different skill sets that are needed. So I go back to, you know, figure out the use case. Your, your number two hire is going to either be on the business side to really consolidate those, those use cases to understand, or it's going to be on the technical side that's actually side, setting up the infrastructure if you understand what you're trying to accomplish. Interesting. So I think one thing that, that uh, I was thinking about when you were talking about uh, this hire, so you said that um, beautifully that don't go hiring for a keyword, right? Don't go data, so data lake is something is the next shiny object that don't go on a hiring spree because understand the why. So now let's, let's take that premise, right? So how do I know why if, if I'm in a company, how do I go in that exploratory journey of understanding my why's uh, before I go and end up hiring? Yeah, so hopefully your leadership team already knows the why, right? If they don't, they need to figure it out. So, I mean, it, it, some of them are, are pretty standard across any industry, right? Um, I want to increase my revenue. I want to decrease my cost. I want to improve my customer experience or NPS scores, as an example, would be very specific, right? Um, they, they better know that. If not, then that company's in a bigger trouble than, than figuring out how to use a data lake. But then the, the, the key challenge there is, okay, how do I take these 50,000 foot strategic needs and kind of go double click on them and bring them down to the next level so that I can start executing against those, right? You see all these really pretty powerful PowerPoint slides of, around company strategies, mm -hmm. but then you need somebody that like translate that into execution layers, right? And then how do you measure that execution level to say we've been successful or not? So one thing that we really haven't talked about is things around measurement and, and monitoring, right? So I think that's also a key component 
um, not only from an analytics side, obviously, but even from a data governance side, right? And a, a quick example is if you're talking about, I want to create a data catalog and I want to have ownerships across those different data sets, we'll literally measure how many owners do you have across those different data sets? What are the key areas where you're not being successful? Have metrics and measurements that you can publish out to your executive leadership team and escalate issues around areas that you need help for them. Right? One of the biggest things that I've learned over the past few years is um, when you're going to executive leadership teams, ask them for help. <laughs> Don't just present your findings, but pinpoint and say, look, the reason why I'm here today is to update you on this program. That's number one. And number two, I'm asking you for help. And this is these are the areas I need help. The way to do that is to measure and monitor. So that way, if you're asking them for help, you can go back three months later, next quarter, and report out and say, hey, we really got your help and we improved by X percent. Thank you. Now here's my next step. Or we asked for your help and we're still stagnant. What do we need to do here differently, right? So I think metrics and measurements through this whole process is really important as well to understand are you being successful? How do you measure success? What is your definition of this? Interesting, interesting. So uh, beautiful. And, and by the way, thank you so much for walking us through that. So let's, let's, let's talk about you for a minute. So in your journey so far, what are some of the ingredients of your success? If, if, if we can talk about, uh, if for an, anyone aspiring to become a, uh, a chief data officer, like what, what are some of some of the things that has helped you? Yeah. Relationships is number one, for sure. Um, you, if you're going to talk about data in, in general, we talked about use cases going across different functional teams. Uh, build relationships with people, listen to what their problems are, uh, make sure that you can repeat back to them what their problems are so that they truly understand that, number one, you're listening, but number two, you actually understand it, right? We do a lot of talking in meetings, okay? And if, if you don't actually start executing and delivering value uh, and building relationships in those areas, then you're just sitting and wasting people's time, right? So build relationships, start delivering values to those areas. Um, I found that being able to talk both business and technology has been extremely helpful because when you go to IT, I'm on the business side currently, right? But when you go to IT and you explain a problem in their terminology and their points of reference, then you gain your confidence that he actually knows what he wants or she wants, right? Because I hear all the time, okay, the business wrote a business requirements document, IT implemented what the requirements document said, and then the business comes back and says to IT, you didn't deliver what I asked for. So where's the disconnect there, right? So relationships, certainly listening and delivering execution. And then third, I think you have to have some tech, technical skill sets so that you can talk to, to the technology side of the house for sure. Interesting. Thank you for so much for, for walking us through that. So now let's let's talk about, uh, we're almost at the, at the end, end of the conversation. So. Uh, I, I want your perspective on, and we ask all the guests uh, who come on the show to share their best read or their best book. So do you have any read that you want to share with our, with, with our audience? So the best read is, is what's next? <laughs> the book. That's the context? So it's, it's basically, it's, uh, do, you, do, do you have any preferred book, book that you want to share? Oh, okay. Um... Well, I think uh, you, you talked to my colleague, Bill Schmarzo. He, uh, he's written a book. I highly recommend it. It's around data science. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll plug his book in here for sure. Um, 
but but just I, I don't have any specific books, quite honestly. I, you know, the, the, I tend to read across the different spectrum. My advice around books itself is don't stick to one specific domain. I think you know when you talk about data, chief data officers, science, all this other stuff. You need leadership skills, you need communication skills, you need technical skills, you need, mm. you need to understand what the latest things are going on in the world, right? So be well-rounded. That's how you build relationships with people across the different groups by understanding where they're coming from and being able to speak to where they're coming from. So just don't be a technology geek. Don't be just a business geek. You know, be a well-rounded person and, and really you know, spread, spread out your knowledge around that. Beautiful. So. Um... That thank you so much, um, Steve, for for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, before we part ways, I uh, I request our, our our sort of guests to uh, give their closing remarks uh, to anyone listening. So, do you have anything to 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 suggest and share with our listeners and viewers? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, if you want to go down the data governance path and work with analytics. Uh, I mentioned this earlier in the call, be passionate about what you do. Don't get discouraged because there are going to be many, many roadblocks. It's a very challenging environment. Um, people are learning just as you're learning. It's a journey for sure. And, and just continue to, to, to go through it, build relationships, connect with peers, and, and just, you know, plow through it. You'll get there. <laughs> with the Celebrate time. a small win. <laughs> yes, uh, with that, thank you so much, uh, Stephen, for for helping us understand. I think it's it's fascinating to to uh, hear your perspective on the importance of data governance. I think that's that's one of the key components that we have not talked in our in our series before. So definitely very very insightful. And and again, uh, we are always welcome on the show. And uh, do let let us know. Uh, probably we'll connect we'll connect after after a while to to see your journey so far and. Uh, again, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our, with, with our folks. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to have this, this, this type of discussion, so I appreciate it. The hour went by very quickly, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a